Is it possible that being born blind actually protects you from a crippling mental illness? And then Dead Rabbit Radio takes on its biggest adversary yet. This show and its host, Jason Carpenter, is about to go head-to-head with a god today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. Hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. Note, just a quick note, I did take a bunch of steroids today because I'm getting sick. So I'm on some prednisone. I did just challenge a god to the fight. And uh, we'll see if we make it through this episode. We'll see if I just uh, tear this studio apart and run outside naked. But before I do that, someone who hopefully will keep me from having some roid rage is one of our Thanksgiving live stream donators. You guys were fabulous during the Thanksgiving live stream. Give it up for Young Hemlock. Everyone give a round of applause for Young Hemlock. He's walking in with his straight jacket. Arr, I'll bite you. Don't get too close. Young Hemlock, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the show financially, I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. Really, really helps out a lot. I saw a lot of you guys talking about the show on the X board recently, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. Getting the word out. Really, really appreciate that stuff. And also, I appreciate this. Check out this fan art for Fan Art Friday. We haven't done Fan Art on Friday for a while, because I keep forgetting to mention it, but look at this. This is from the Dead Rabbit Radio subreddit. It was drawn by Man Pleat, and that is a sugar skull. If you can't see it, if you're currently trying to hold down an enraged Jason yourself, it is a sugar skull of the Dead Rabbit Radio logo. It's amazing. Man Pleat, thank you so much for sending that over. And then, guys, I wanted to let you know about another podcast that I actually guest starred on recently. And the episode's coming out tomorrow, or today, or it came out a week ago, depending on when you listen to this. The podcast is called The Asylum Case Studies, and it's hosted by Tressa. She's a supporter of the show. She asked me to be on her show. I didn't break into her studio and record this stuff against her will. We What we did was we both watched an asylum film. If you know what asylum films are, it's not security footage of people running around a lunatic house. It's those goofy movies, those straight-to-DVD movies, straight-to-sci-fi channel movies, like Titanic 2 and Transmorphers. And all this stuff, all these goofy movies they did. I was lucky enough to do commentary on one of my favorite bad films, Three-Headed Shark Attack. So if you want to hear me and Tressa talk about Three-Headed Shark Attack, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to hear us talk about Three-Headed Shark Attack? Check out the Asylum Case Studies. I'll put some links in the show notes. But really, the Asylum Case Studies is available anywhere you listen to podcasts. So if you're listening to Dead Rabbit Radio, you can just type in the Asylum Case Studies, and you can check out my episode, and then check out the rest of them, too. But you're legally obligated to at least listen to my episode. But Tressa, thank you so much for having me on the show. It was a lot of fun. Young Hemlock, I'm going to go ahead and start this episode off by tossing you the keys to the Jason Jalopy. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are headed all the way out to a laboratory. (laughs) Driving on out there. This story was sent to me by GnomeSane23 on the Dead Rabbit Radio subreddit. GnomeSane sent me this story, and I... Was it, I immediately wanted to tell you guys about it, but I had to do more research. I had to dig into it a little bit more, but what a fascinating story this is. And I got to give a shout out to Shayla Love. She wrote this article for Vice Magazine that really delves into this story. 
For decades, scientists have been searching for someone. Someone, at least one person, has to have this. Because if they don't have this, nothing really makes sense. It's been 60 years they've been trying to look this. One, re- one single researcher ran a study that included half a million people. Still, have not found a single person who was born blind, has congenital blindness, and has schizophrenia. Now you go, Jason, that might just be a weird quirk in human biology. But that's definitely an answer, and that would be the end of the segment, right? But the thing is, is that science, it would be one thing if that was the answer, but scientists can't just explain that as the answer. It doesn't make sense. And in fact, it's counterintuitive because congenital blindness is caused when you have brain trauma in the wound. You have mutations, you have infections, and these things actually cause psychiatric disorders. If you're a full-grown adult and you get some sort of mutation in your brain or you get some sort of infection, some sort of brain infection, your chances of developing schizophrenia go up. If you lose your vision as an adult, your chances of schizophrenia go way up. But if you are, you're actually higher than the general population of getting schizophrenia if you become blind later in life. But if you're born blind, Steve Silverstein, a psychiatrist at the University of Rochester, he says, he says, listen, we've done all these studies and it's even weirder than we think. Because we've studied, because we know there's a direct correlation now, or a direct oppositation. I don't know if that's a word, but you can't be congenitally blind. Here's the steroids kicking, and I can't even pronounce words anymore. You can't be congenitally, whatever. You can't be born blind and become schizophrenic. It just doesn't happen. So we started studying these two groups. People who are born blind have better reaction time than people who are schizophrenic. They have better memories than people who are schizophrenic. They're better at telling sounds apart. They're better at blocking out sounds. They're better at hearing different pitches and sounds. In fact, they are better when they do this huge study in 20 different ways. Someone who is born blind, who has one of their senses missing, and I would, I think most people would argue the main sense, right? You can go without a sense of touch. You'll probably set yourself on fire at some point. You can go without hearing. That's not pleasant either. You can go without taste, but sight. You had to ask anyone to give up a a sense. That would be the last one they would want to do, I think, for most people. They actually outperform people with schizophrenia on 20 different levels on things like being able to tell sounds apart. And what's, again, odd is that. So they're looking at ways now. If they know that there is a direct correlation between vision as a child and schizophrenia, they figure we might actually be able to test children for schizophrenia when they're like little kids. Because apparently, I didn't know that schizophrenia, they have their balances all kind of wonky. That's a way you can tell that someone's schizophrenic. It's not the only way. If you're a clumsy person, don't get all hypochondriac right now. But yeah, you... They're thinking about inventing vision tests to figure out schizophrenia risk further ahead. Being born blind doesn't make you immune to mental illness. It's just schizophrenia. And in this study they were looking at, And looking at this study, one of the specific things they pointed out was that you can be born blind and have arachnophobia. 
Which seems weird because how can you be afraid of something? You, it seems weird because you're one, you're being afraid of something you've never seen. But I guess that's everything, right? I guess a blind person could be afraid of heights, even though they've never seen the heights. But a spider is such an abstract creature. Like if someone described a spider to you and you'd never seen anything in your life, and you go, uh, "They have eight legs." All you can really do is feel your own legs, right? So imagine it has like big old thighs and calves and little toes. And has a bunch of eyeballs, so you're you're feeling your eyes. You're like, ow, ow, this hurts, but I need to know the answer. Like, how would you describe that? You would imagine it's a tiny little person. I'm not saying that blind people are stupid and they don't know what an insect is, but what would they imagine it? And then could you imagine not only being arachnophobic, but blind? At least if I'm arachnophobic, I can look around and go, oh, good, there's no spiders around me. But a blind person, for all they know, the world is spiders. For all they know, there's spiders like around them all the time. That seem that would seem to be like imagine to me that's on the level of being born blind and having a fear of the dark. Well, I guess that's actually way worse. I guess that's way worse than having arachnophobia. So yeah, it's just a weird quirk of human biology. You cannot be born blind and have schizophrenia. We recently did that episode about deaf people hearing voices, and that was a really cool one. I'll put that one in the show notes, and I think this is a good companion piece to that one. Just weird facts about life and about brains. I actually used to know this blind woman. Here's a Here's a crazy story for you. So I used to work at a call center for a major U.S. bank, and I'm not going to name the bank for legal reasons. They're in enough legal trouble, I don't want them scapegoating me. I used to work at a call center for a major U.S. bank, and I think there was about 25, 30 people on our team. There's a bunch of different teams, but on one of the teams, you had a blind woman, and she was probably in her mid-40s at the time. And she was blind. She had her workstation set up so, like, she didn't have to type. I think she just talked in it. it it was like teletype thing, but she was a fully functional member of the team. And if you called this bank to check your account or open a savings account and stuff like that, you could possibly get her and you would never know the difference, right? She was a totally normal part of the team. Now, when we worked at this call center, one of the things we were supposed to do was to open new accounts. So they'd call up to check their balance and we'd say, hey, would you like to open a savings account? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I was just trying to get two seconds of information, but sure, I'll spend five minutes opening this account. That was part of our job, and we had goals. And the goals were fairly low. They were fairly doable. I think it was we were supposed to open, I don't know, maybe it was like $10,000 in new accounts each month or something like that, each quarter. And then somebody discovered a fluke in the system. What they discovered was... When we opened the new account, we put their social security number into the system for new accounts. And when you did that, because here was the thing, people go, hey, you know, I would be on the call with someone and I would enter their social security number into this referral system. And then three weeks later, they went to the bank and opened the savings account. But I'm the one who referred it to them. I want the credit for that, i.e. I want the money. I want the commission for that. So this bank said, okay, we'll tell you what, if you enter in a social security number into this referral system and they open up an account within, say, the next 90 days, you'll get credit for it at the call center. And that had been the rule for a while where one person discovered an exploit and they realized, picture it this way, I'm working at a call center, my name is Joe, and a customer calls me up 
and I say, hey, would you like to open a savings account today? And the customer goes, I'll think about it. I, Joe, enter his social security number into the referral system. And within 90 days, if he opens that savings account, I get the credit for it. But it didn't, it could never tell what type of account was opened. So I could refer a savings account and that guy could open a checkings account and I get the credit for a checkings account. You go, Jason, it's not a big deal. They're still opening an account. Well, here's the gimmick. You got credit for every single account they open within 90 days. So I could say, hey, would you like a savings account? They'd say, sure, I'd enter their number into the referral system. And then he goes out and gets three CDs, a savings account, and opens a bond through this bank. I, as far as the computer knows, I sold all of those products to that dude. And if that guy calls up the call center again, let's say a week later to find out his balance again, online banking wasn't a thing back then, and that person does the same thing, that person also gets credit for all of these accounts being opened. So to the stock traders, right, to the people who are looking at the profitability of this bank, they were looking at, oh my God, look at all these new accounts are being opened up. And they're all being opened up due to this call center. My call center was the only call center in America that turned a profit. Call centers are loss leaders. That's why they put them overseas. This call center I was at was the only call center that turned a profit. And the reason why was people were manipulating this. If you saw someone had just opened up a checking account, and before the end, of, you gave them what they needed. You told them their balance. And before they get off the phone, you said, hey, would you tr think about opening a savings account? And they said, yeah, maybe. That counted as a referral. And you got credit for the checking account they just opened as well that you had nothing to do with. There was a thing, I think it was called the Million Dollar Club. And it was if you opened a million dollars worth of accounts within a quarter, you got invited to this nice luncheon. It used to be at each quarter, there'd be two associates at that luncheon. By the time I left, the banquet table was full. Everyone was doing this. But a few of us weren't. A few of us weren't. And one of them was that blind woman. She was trying to do it legit. But the thing is, is that as the profitability was going up, the goals got higher. It was no longer $10,000 a month. $50,000 a month in new, new accounts. Which you could not do. Well, you could just not do it, right? You could just not do it, and then you'd get a talking to. I got many, many talkings to from supervisors about me not hitting my goals. But it could also mean your job. And I, I traditionally don't care about my jobs. A lot of times I'm like, I can walk at any time. If I really, really like the job, I'll stay. But if I don't like the job, that's my attitude. I can leave at any time. I can go get another job somewhere else. So if I'm wah, 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 getting yelled at by a manager, like I can walk at any time. But the blind worker, and I don't remember her name, unfortunately, she couldn't just leave this job. She had a husband, and he worked as well. And they lived together, and he would take her to work and then pick her up at the end of the shift. But this was her job, and she really enjoyed it. And as those goals are going up, due to this manipulation, she found herself in a very uncomfortable spot. She found herself being talked to by management, who turned a blind eye to the activity, 
They would never admit that they knew this was going on. And honestly, maybe some of them didn't. Maybe some of them were like, whoa, we just happen to have the 30 best salespeople in America all in this one call center. And I remember we, we, we would talk about that. I remember me and my buddies, we'd be like, this is so unfair because she's not breaking the rules. She's getting in trouble. She may lose her job because these new goals are impossible to meet fairly. And we'd watch her struggle. We'd watch her just really... I mean, you get to the point where people just want their credit score or something like that. And she's really trying to open these accounts. She has to open this savings account. It's the end of the month. If she doesn't open a few more savings accounts, she's going to get written up. And she may lose her job. I don't know why I'm telling this story on a Friday. I try not to be so depressing on a Friday episode. But I remember one day I was at work. And my boy came up to me and he goes, I, I forgot her name, so we're going to call her Sally. But my boy comes up to me and he goes, hey, dude, did you hear about Sally? And you're thinking uh, she got fired, right? She wasn't gaming the system. She got fired. And my boy goes, her husband died last night. And immediately I'm just thrown into this idea. She's blind. And she's had this husband for all these years and she wakes up next to him. He died in his sleep. And the horror and the panic and the sadness. I'm sorry, I did not plan this out for this Friday episode. Again, I try to be more lighthearted. But this, I can't imagine. I, I, imagine waking up to your loved one being dead and then adding to that being blind. Like, it just adds an extra level of helplessness to it. I know blind people have live a very fulfilling life. Like this woman. She had a job. She had friends. She had family. All of that stuff. But still, like, to be robbed of one of your senses and then to wake up next to your cold partner. Horrifying. And she was not well after that. Like, mentally not well after that. And the job still pushed her to meet those unrealistic goals. Now, I wish I had a happy ending for this story. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure you do too. I ended up quitting that job. I went to a far worse job. A far worse job. Because that job was okay. It's just all of the gaming, the system was pretty, pretty, pretty lame, right? I liked the people who worked there. I had a lot of friends there, but I ended up quitting. Just an odd personal story, really. And I, I don't know what happened to her. Obviously, I hope that Sally is, you know, doing fine. But it was just it was so painful to watch someone very honorable and trying to do things by the book. And, you know, they're hamstr they are hamstrung by being blind and they're working in a call center and they're having to type up these documents and all that stuff. It's not impossible, but it wasn't as easy, right? You're trying to do the noble thing. And they have this disability, and the corporate machine continued to grind them down. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to our next segment. We got a young hemlock hiding in the bushes. Young hemlock, come on, come on out of the bushes. We need you. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys. Man, that's a that's a whiplash of tone. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys of the carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this laboratory. We are headed all the way out to. Ancient Egypt. 
And as we're headed out there, I want to do a very, very quick Dead Rabbit Recommends. I've been thinking about this movie a lot, and it would be the perfect weekend movie for you. It is called Running Scared. There's a couple of movies with this title. This movie came out in 2006. It stars Paul Walker. If you've seen this movie, the second I said that title, put a huge smile on your face. Running Scared is a movie that it has so many twists and turns. And to really, it's a, it's a crime. I don't even know if it's a crime drama or a crime action film. It borders on the paranormal. It's so weird. There's stuff in the movie that happens that's so bizarre. It's not like a typical Goodfellas-type movie, but it has that energy. The director... I don't remember his name. It seemed like the director believed this was going to be the only movie he would ever make in his life, so he used all of these really awesome storytelling devices and these great... Each scene is its own little set piece. Like, the lighting changes. It's so good. Running Scared, I've seen it multiple times. It's one of those movies that I watched and then I re-watched with the director's commentary right afterwards. Running Scared, starring the great Paul Walker. It's so good. And it, you put it in, and you're sold in that first five minutes. Like, you are engaged in that movie. And it is non-stop. I love it. So, Running Scared. Dead Rabbit recommends Running Scared. The reason why we're headed back to ancient Egypt was there was recently a post going around on the X-Board. It was very, very interesting. I always love those posts that have almost no engagement, because that means that there's something worthwhile there. A lot of times with these posts, you'll see a ton of people responding. It's bots. They're what they call slide threads. They're put up there to kind of push down the other more interesting, possibly truer threads. So I like the ones with low response counts. Those are generally real people. And someone posted this image on the X board and they go, what's up with this? What is up with this? And I'm looking at it and at first glance, it's just a screenshot from dictionary.com. The question posted in this screenshot is, what does amen mean at the end of a prayer? The word Amen, if you're religious, and especially if you're religious from the Middle East, so Christianity, Islam, Judaism, the word Amen plays a large part in prayers. In Christianity, it's fairly informal. So you can just be like, I, you know, in Jesus' precious name, Amen. It's how you'll end a prayer. Or when you're agreeing with someone, Amen, brother. In Judaism, it's a little more constructed. It's a little more like formatted into the prayers. It's not so casually thrown around. But amen is a Hebrew word. It means truth. It means truth or verily, which would be the old-timey version. But if someone's like, you know, we walk down the streets and we're going to take this city back and go, amen, brother, amen. And you're saying like, yeah, you're speaking the truth. And the dictionary.com explanation is talking about how it's used in Judaism and how it's used in Islam and how it's used in Christianity. And then at the very bottom of this, it says, in Egyptian mythology, quote, in Egyptian mythology, Amen or Amen was a deity represented by a ram, the god of life and reproduction. It's just a coincidence. This is actually what it says. It's just a coincidence that the word Amen resembles this deity's name. The ancient Egyptian god has no relationship to the Hebrew declaration of affirmation. Unquote. And I saw that and post whoever posted that on Xboard, thank you, is very, very fascinating. And I saw that and I go, what in the it, it seemed like they didn't need to include that, right? 
It was a different context. So that makes you think, as a conspiracy theorist, that when they're saying it's not related to this, it is related to that. But anyway, so I wanted to do some digging up on Amun, and that's why we're in ancient Egypt right now. Let's take a look at this Egyptian god named Amun, a god who we finish prayers with his name. Please, God, bless all of my listeners. Keep them safe and keep them happy through these holidays. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. What's the very last thing I'm saying in that prayer? I'm saying an Egyptian deity's name. Amen was a god dating back to 2700 BC. Also known as the Age of the Pyramids. This dude is old. Right? This dude is so old, we don't even know how the pyramids were built. That's when this guy was stomping around. Ancient Egyptian culture. Now, I want you to think right now, who's the most famous person you know from Egypt? Go ahead, shout it out loud if you're at work, if you're at a call center. Think of the most famous person you know from Egypt. Keep that fact to yourself for a bit. We'll get back to that. Amen ends up moving through the ranks. And this is what we talked about recently with Moneta. The money god, the hidden god who I believe when we say I need money, we're actually praying to this god Moneta. She did the same thing. She moved through. She was an, like a goddess on the outskirts of Rome, like an old goddess. And then she ended up being co-opted by the Romans. And then she became the most important god in Roman mythology. It's like we're seeing them wiggle their way through society. All men did the same thing. He ended up fusing with the sun god. And became Amen Ra. He was worshipped from 2700 BC to 1100 BC. He's actually, outside of Osiris, the most widely recorded deity in Egyptian lore. And in Egypt, Amen Ra was the god you prayed to. He was the one overseeing everything. He was the son you prayed to Amen. In Egypt, though, now we're up to 1500 BC. There was a bit of hiccup in this plan. A new pharaoh shows up, and he decides to make a new god. He calls him A-10. And he begins having all of Amun's temples desecrated, and all of these images of Amun destroyed. And the priests of Amun weren't down with that. They didn't know who this new A-10 guy was, and they had spent their entire lives, decades, generations. The priesthood was propping up Amun Ra. And now he was being taken out by a newcomer. But who can argue with the pharaoh? Egypt becomes a monotheistic society with A-10. There's only one god now. You better bow to him. But that pharaoh ends up dying. And then a new pharaoh steps in and they end up dying. And then a new pharaoh steps in and they end up dying. And this whole A-10 reign of power goes on for about 24 years. So fairly small in the scale of history. But a long time if you're... If you're a worshiper of Amun-Ra and he, he doesn't exist, you can't worship him without getting in a lot of trouble. But then a new pharaoh shows up on the scene. Who's the most famous person you can think of from Egypt? <laughs> I guess I should have said ancient Egypt. King Tut! King Tut comes into power. And one of the first things he does, King Tut brings back Amun-Ra, brings back all of the Egyptian gods. And it's now a polytheistic society again. But over time, the power of Egypt waned, and so did the power of their gods. But like any clever deity, 
all men simply found new societies to recognize him. We have references to him in Sudanese religion. We have references to him in Lebanese culture. We have references to him. He's named by name in the Bible. He's worshipped in Greece. He's worshipped in Greece to the point that people start using the name Zeus Amen. This is my hypothesis. This is kind of what I'm going for. That Moneta before, we talked about her, and Amen are actual entities on Earth that are disguising themselves to become part of our culture. I need money. You're praying to the god Moneta. But this one's actually a little more insidious because you're not asking for any sort of material wealth. You could be asking for a loved one's life to be saved. You could be asking for peace in your heart. You could be asking for something to just be better in your life. And you're ending your prayer calling out to an ancient Egyptian deity. Amen. Now you could go, Jason, these are just words. These are just words that people are saying in different regions. And sure, there's only so many different consonants and vowels you can use. I believe that Amon may be a real deity. Not even a deity, a, a demigod or some sort of entity, some sort of spiritual thing out there. And it has worked its way through societies, and then it figured out the best trick it could ever think of. Become a word in multiple religions' prayers. Because then every prayer you say in whatever religion you're in, if it ends with Amen or Amen, because you can pronounce it either way, his name and the word, you're calling out to him. And to make this even creepier, if it could get any creepier, right? That a god may have figured out a way after it ran out of societies to run through, just goes, why don't I just work in all of them? Why don't I just become part of every religion? If you had a religion completely disappear, you had all of these people who no longer have any power, where are they going to go? All of these priests from one religion, they're going to join other religious orders. And it would be so insidious. It would be an Illuminati-esque plot to disappear and then infiltrate. You don't ever have to reappear on any grand scale because you own everything behind the scenes. And what I'm saying is the true worshippers of Amen are working behind the scenes in these other religions. And these other religions, I do it too. When I pray, I say Amen or Amen. I don't know if I'm going to keep saying it, but probably won't. Or if I do, I'll probably be spooked out. But that his followers disappeared, infiltrated all these other religions, and got his name put into their prayers. Now, that's a pretty big stretch, right? We're talking about real-life deities or demigods interacting on Earth. We're talking about something so powerful and so sneaky that can infiltrate the prayers of three different major religions. Conspiracy cap on or off, that sounds pretty crazy, right? Do you know what Amen means? We know that in Hebrew it means truth. In Egyptian... Amen means the hidden one. When I was looking over Bible verses, when I was looking over the Bible verse that mentioned Amon by name, there's a notation on BibleHub.com. This is their definition of what Amen means. Quote, he was the secret God who hid himself and was difficult to find. Amen would. 
infiltrate a religion, and make people pray to him. You would never know it. You would never suspect it. You would live your life sending out your prayers to your God. But one word, one word, changes it. One word continues to fuel an ancient Egyptian god. Billions of people worldwide pray every day. And a lot of people wonder why their prayers are never answered. Well, maybe they're being intercepted. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.